You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I review recent research related to cross-country skiers' predictions for the upcoming season. How might environmental and macroeconomic conditions affect their expectations for season quality? How might expectations actually influence participation? And how can these findings be used to better understand other outdoor recreation activities? Let's get into it. I'm analyzing the results of a consumer survey we did for cross country. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of fascinating, right? The, one of the questions I asked was, uh, how would you describe your feelings about the coming season of cross country skiing? What do you think the season will be? And they can they can choose uh, best season ever, better than average, worse than average, or basically worst season ever. And depending on how they answered that question, they got filtered, right? And so I was like, so what? <laughs> what is up? And I expected a whole myriad of responses. And but I mean, it was really, really, really weather centric. And I expected that, but hmm. damn. Like every almost every single person that said uh, worse than average, worst season ever said things like no snow, climate change, weather, we don't get snow anymore, El Nino, climate change, weather, climate change. I mean, every one of them. We had about 500 respondents to this overall. And it is absolutely incredible what I'm looking at here. I mean, so overall, (laughs) we've got a very cynical audience, by the way. And I, I broke it down by province and state. So I've got it that in, okay. in that granular level. And there are differences. Like Alaska's hmm. really, they were really positive. They thought it was gonna be okay. like a good season or best season ever. But then you get to like you get to Michigan and Wisconsin and they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be out. And so just out of, I wanted to tell you, I could show you the graph, but I'm just gonna tell you what it says. Yeah. So of uh, four hundred and sixty-five respondents. 9.7% said it's going to be the best season ever. <laughs> it's not, this is okay. actually not a normal distribution. Better than average, 20%. So we've got about 30%. So one in three are like, yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty, they're optimistic. It's going to be a pretty mm-hmm. good season. Mm-hmm. Same as it ever was, this is 28.8. So, you know, whatever. And then worse That's- than average, 38.1. Ouch. <laughs> wow. And uh, worst season ever was, yeah, only four percent. It's interesting. It's so, so we're leaning negative. We lean. I was like, "Holy crap! I've got to go see why this everyone is just down." And it wasn't. Nobody said. Not one response was about the economy. Not one. It was basically ninety percent weather, and then ten percent were just kind of the sad responses about getting hurt or somebody died or something like that. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so tell me who the sample is for this. Did you go out to general population audience? Do you have folks? We actually have a cross country panel that that yeah. we okay. that we've been growing for about five years now. And it, oh you know, wow, we've got about two thousand people on the panel. One of the other things we did we do on this panel is every time we do a survey like this, we ask who would be willing to talk to us more. Like, would you be willing to ask mm-hmm. to be on a discussion group or a focus group or something yeah. like that? Out of the 465, 124 said, sure, we'd love to do that. And I love cross-country skiers because they are outdoors, man. They do everything. Yeah, yeah. In the surveys where we ask crossover, something like 94% hike, right? Uh, Oh, sure. 
70% camp, about 60% ride bikes. It's just a nice little, very specific consumer panel that we built here. I and I it. wanted to find out because I'm looking at retail sales in November and they are bad. I mean, bad. Mm, yeah. I don't want to sugarcoat that for the market. They are bad. I mean, apparel sales in November, and this is comparing November 23 to November 22, apparel sales mm-hmm. down almost 11%. Yeah, there are a couple of bright spots, but man. And I have, and I actually have retail sales on cross country gear. And I wanted to see what was going on. Like, well, if, if sales are down 30%, what, what's going on? What are people worried about? Are they not buying because? And I posited as I talked to Reese about this, you know, we're going mm-hmm. through the data this morning. I said, look, I think people are really worried about weather especially in the Midwest and the Northeast, where we just didn't have much of a winter last year. And I guess that the West would be a little bit more positive than the East. And that turned out to be about right. If it was warm and we've had progressively sort of milder winters in, the, in those, those regions of the country, it was a matter of being pessimistic because of weather patterns. Interesting. I mean, the correlation was really clear. So they weren't buying. They were not buying in November because it's a hedge. Like, I'm going to wait and see. Yeah. So, so when is the peak season for cross country? Really January, February, March. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so you'd expect a lot of sales in October, November, sort of as we lead up to it. Yeah, I would. But November, you know, so we discussed this too. I want to ask, and I'm going to go to civic science with this question. How often do people buy hard goods as a gift for another person? Especially. What a good question. Especially in the core, because I'm, this is, you know, I think that January and February are the critical months for hard goods sales for the core, like for really like committed participants and things. Oh, then maybe it's mm. no sports. I don't know. So I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how often I, cause, because I don't give equipment to anybody very often. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty personal. Like it's, I, I'm particular about the equipment that I want to use, you know, and, and, if I need it in October for a fall, uh, for some sort of like fall event, I'm not going to wait until the holiday season. Is that is that where we're getting at? Like Kinda. spending spending on gifts around the holiday season? Yeah, that and when people when people do decide that they want to buy something hard goods related um, mm-hmm. for for a loved one, I think that the trend is gift card. So that so those yeah. people are actually are actually purchasing. Those those items in January and February. Interesting. So uh, yeah, I just I'm gonna be taking a harder look at that, including like just looking at at volume of sales by month for each category and figuring out if if we can actually determine that that's the case because that kind of changes some some holiday marketing and changes the way it changes the schedule of marketing for hard goods a little bit. Yeah. Or it could if we could provide that insight if that is indeed what's happening. And we could provide that insight. Maybe, maybe you know, the, your marketing communication schedule changes a little bit. You emphasize January and February for hard goods a little bit more. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So what else did you find in the study? We talked about expectations for the next season. I did. Folks so, aren't particularly excited. Despite the fact that there's a massive amount of cynic- cynicism about the weather in here, I asked, so are you going to ski or what? <laughs> and uh, yeah. and 85 percent said yes definitely so right at the top of the scale and i love it and then 13 percent said yes hopefully right so the cynicism was it but none of them said okay. none of them said no not at six yeah. then it said no i won't participate 
One person said probably not, and that person had an injury. Yeah, we're always going to see that in our studies of cycling and in other studies that I've done on other outdoor participation. There's like, there's always a little bit of of churn with folks that are that have some sort of physical limitation, right? You're going to have an injury. You're going to like be recovering from something. You're taking it easy this year. But I, I think a lot of that stuff normalizes out, you know? Every year there's folks that sit it out. And then there's that same year there's folks who've come back after a year or two out. Yeah. The, well, the 1% that said that that said that they were not going to ski this season because of health reasons was a little low for me. I thought there'd be at least four, but you know, that's okay. That's, yeah. it's, that's going to be spurious from time to time, but it's a small percentage, but they're always, they're, they're always there, but they remain interested. Like committed participants, yeah. Even if they're not skiing, they're thinking about it. They're following it a bit. They're, you know, they they're they may head to their favorite little cross country lodge just to hang out because it's a great atmosphere. Yeah, you know, when I did churn analyses for state fish and wildlife agencies uh, based on their license sales data, a lot of times we would use a three year or a five year horizon to determine if someone has churned out because there's so there's so many you know single years where like. I, when my daughter was born in 2021, I don't think I snowboarded once that year. I don't think I got up at all, but I got up plenty the next year and the year after that. And so it's not really fair to say that someone's turned out or they've lapsed after one year. Cause there's, there's stuff that happens and each of us have our own personal lives and, and, uh, limits on, on our leisure time and everything. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think that three year or even a five year horizons, a way more efficient way to look at it. I agree with you on that. Absolutely agree with you. I was actually just really, after looking at the cynicism and, you know, how good of a season it was going to be to see that everyone was like, I don't, you know, it might, it might suck, but I'm still going to get out there. That's it. That's actually just a feel good moment for me. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, I asked them basically a few more questions. One of the questions I asked them was seasons pass because season pass has taken over downhill. Right. More For than sure. 70% of the people on the hill have a season's pass at this point. Usually a multi-resort season pass from Icon, that's Icon or, or Epic. So from Vail yeah. or Altera. And it has, this model has bled into cross country. I've been watching it happen. Um, last year, we were, we were right around about 46% said they had a cross country season pass. This year, it's 50.5. Mm-hmm. So oh, wow. that, that model is bleeding into cross country. I'm starting to wonder, you know, what other activities are activities in which there is a risk, you know, based on nature. Like in snow, it's, is it going to snow or not? Um, and we can yeah. clearly see that, that consumers understand that risk when we ask them about what, what kind of season it's going to be. And they, if they said it's not going to be a great season, it's all about weather. What other, I mean, what other activities can you think of? And I'm thinking out loud here that in which yeah. the, the consumer, it's got to be, the risk has to be somewhere, either the resorts or areas offering that activity take the risk of nature not being kind to them or the consumer buys a pass and they take the risk. Is there any, are there any other places in which that happens that you can think of? And I'm, I'm, I am thinking everybody out there should be thinking, I'm sure there are people (laughs) out there, which, and I don't. I don't, I don't know either. I'm I'm trying to think like that industry is the one that is most closely tied with a transaction like that, you know, because yeah, there's, there's good years and there's bad years for every outdoor wreck activity. And a lot of it's based on weather or, you know, like in hunting and fishing, it can just be based on animal movements and stuff. 
but yeah, that that season pass transaction I think is is pretty unique to skiing, unless I'm totally missing something. No, I would encourage not it. not skiing, but like snow sports. Yes, yeah, I, I, I think is yeah. When I think about it, I mean, it could be the only thing I can think of that might be analogous are areas where wildfires have prevented some participation, but there's, I mean, it's not like you're paying to access that. Uh, just, yeah, we backcountry permits might might be somewhat similar in that regard, but that's stretch. teeny, teeny tiny. Right? It's a huge stretch. Yeah. So it is, it is very interesting to watch this participation group, the snow sports participation group, especially the Nordic participation group. Um, and and how they're responding. So 15% of them also have a downhill pass. So we're talking about more than 50% are, are cruising with the cross-country ski pass now. 15% of them also have the downhill pass. And of those 15%, we ask whether or not they're, they're cross-country skiing when it gets crowded, where they like to go with their season pass. Yeah. And, yeah. and most, most said yes. Oh, for sure. That's the way to do it. Yeah. So super interesting. Also, let's see. I, you always think about how people participate, who they go with, you know, what are they doing? So mm-hmm. we have like, mm-hmm. who, do you, who do you typically ski with? And 60% loners. <laughs> I ski alone. Really? Yes. Cross yes. country by themselves. Okay. Cross huh. country is a, it turns Not out. Not my style, but good for them. It's a pretty individual sport, man. I thought that was interesting too. 16% ski with dogs. Nice to see. Oh, I love it. And 38% typically ski with a spouse or a partner. Mm-hmm. Only 11% are skiing with their kids. That's oh, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Like we, we've seen a, a consistent, a, a small but consistent downward trend in youth participation in cycling, which which is troubling. Like I, I think we've talked about it before. It, it's like central to the American identity, it, like teaching your kid how to ride a bike, right? Like there's, there's a story that we tell about like that's a, a rite of passage for three, four, five-year-old, half-year-old. And we're seeing dips from like 54% of kids between the ages of three and seven, with three really being about as young as you can ride a bike. 54% rode a bike once in 2016, and I think it was down to like 48% in 2022. And so, you know, it's it's still around half. We could say it's around half, but like, I'm not exactly sure why it's happening. We th- We think a bit of it is due to urbanization, suburbanization of families and, and the corresponding lack of safety on streets. You know, like if, if you're living in busier areas, the streets are busier and you're less comfortable with your kids striking out on their own and riding the bike. And so you sort of like keep them close to home a little bit. A, a lot of parents say that their kids aren't riding because they don't have enough time, but we know that that's sort of a cop-out answer, right? Like, like we all have the same amount of time in a day and it has more to do with a priority and it seems that the priorities are more closely aligned with like structured, organized physical activity events. So like after school, team sports and um, and, and that sort of thing. So I, yeah, I, I share the concern about uh, a decline in youth participation, because if we think about like who next year's consumers are going to be, who the participants are going to be in, in future years, like we need a wide population pyramid base so that we can support the market and we can support the activity in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, kids age pretty quickly, you know, and age into a, into the core of our market very, very quickly. So we're expecting yeah. the same cohort to be the core, what, a mere probably 10 years later? 
and and yeah. only eleven percent of people are skiing or if you know skiing with your kid on a cross country trail. Yeah, you know it's that's a that's you're you're just doing it for fun and family, and it's like cute hike. It's not like hardcore cross country skiing, but you know regardless of what anybody thinks, eighty percent of cross country skiers are casual skiers anyway. So eleven percent, mm. only eleven percent bringing their kids is is a little concerning. Dang. Yeah, some opportunities to invite families to um, a lovely, wholesome, fun outdoor activity in wintertime, you know? In wintertime. Yeah. I see so much opportunity here. Now, here's the problem that I want to solve as a parent of a two and a half year old kid is I want to make a, a sustainable investment in the cold weather gear that they're going to use for one season and then not again for the next season. You know, like how, how do I... How do I make that make sense? And and maybe that's a topic for another episode, but like youth gear, I think is, is something of interest because we, I, I want my child to ride a bike and, and ski or snowboard, whatever she chooses and, and like hike with me and, and camp with me. But I don't know that I necessarily would like to buy new equipment every year. And there's a few models out there that are really interesting for like almost sort of leasing a bike, you know, like you'd get this size model and then you like, trade it back in and you get the next one up for like minimal investment, right? What opportunities might exist in maybe more like cold weather gear oriented sports that, that could like help ease parents into that large investment? Lease programs, right? I mean, and not, maybe not just for equipment, maybe lease programs expand into things like accessories and apparel for kids. So then you don't have, I mean, you're, you're have to, you're going to have to buy new stuff every year. So why not just, mm-hmm. why not just, you know, you cut your cost by 20% lease of stuff at the end of the season, you give it back and they can yeah. they, you know, lease it out to some other kid, you know, that's mm-hmm. the same size that your kid was yeah. next year. Same thing with equipment. And I'm not sure why we don't do this. I don't, I'm not sure why more lease um, models aren't going on in bike. I don't want to spend $10,000 on it. I, I can't spend $10,000 on a bike. I don't have 10000 to spend on a bike. Yeah. That would be like, the, I might as well pick out my favorite flavor of cat. So for retirement, I start spending like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are big investments. And I think the leasing programs could offer a huge opportunity here for folks to be able to like access equipment that they wouldn't otherwise be able to access and then participate in activities they wouldn't otherwise be able to participate in. But we're just not quite there yet. I, and I'm not totally sure why. I, I think some of it might have to do with the way that we use credit here and, and the way that credit is used abroad where leasing programs are more popular. But maybe we can find an expert to come on and, and talk to us about leasing. I think that would be a great idea. And, you know, we can find them in snow sports. We can. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when in snow sports, a lot of uh, downhill leasing programs um, switch a sort of white glove where they delivered all the stuff and fit all the stuff. Like, really? um, I remember when that happened. I remember when they started leasing out apparel so that, you know, the people from Texas that are are skiing in Vail for a week, a year, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they do want to buy all their cool, cold, awesome, cool weather stuff, but you know, mm-hmm. why not just lease it? And it's, I mean, it's a great, it's a great business model too. You're going to make more than 30% margin on that item. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to make a lot more money on it. So, geez, you know, I, I I have been wondering for years why can't why can't we transfer that to other places? And you know, downhill mountain bike parks, I can lease a bike, I can lease mm-hmm. a helmet, I can lease some pads. It works. Yeah, 
that's what it, honestly I find that a little scary because it's not your bike, you know, and it just it's just knowing your bike. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've rented plenty of bikes before it, and it's a little bit funny because it's not your gear, but it's better than having no bike, and it's more easily accessible than buying a bike, which I wouldn't be able to do. By the way, I mean, even of the pessimists, more almost forty percent said they're planning on buying equipment this year. That shocked me. Too. Oh yeah, wow. Okay, right, after like all, big, said, big so, investment. Ah, they're talking about buying um, skis, boots, bindings, poles. Okay, so, those are big investments. Yeah. Big enough. And I mean, those are the biggest investments you're going to make unless you're buying yeah. really specialized apparel. But in this case, what, what hit me was, okay, you know, I think about the sort of the headline of this whole survey. And this is why I love doing this kind of research because it's basically where it's consumers are pessimistic due to due to climate change, but they yeah. all plan on doing it. They're all still dedicated to doing it. And they're still buying equipment. They're still buying. They, Interesting. Regardless of their pessimism, they're still out there. They're still in. They're still like in that. the market. And it, it's sort of it's sort of interesting. I mean, seriously, only and and by the way, it was thirty seven point three eight percent said yes. We are definitely buying equipment. Wow. Sixteen point. Okay. So another seventeen percent said maybe. You know, then we had seventy percent of all that. Only 47%, no, wait, 46% said, nah, I'm not going to buy anything this year. All mm. that pessimism. And then I got, and that's, this is actually higher than normal. Usually it's about a third, a third, a third. <laughs> so I was, I was surprised by this. Yeah. It's really interesting. And this is just, you know, the best research, the best research always raises more questions. And <laughs> yes. That's, and, and this, this is, that's how I want to sort of wrap this discussion up, to say that it's always so interesting to look at new data and to think about it in the context of, of what you already know and, and look at where it surprises you most and where yeah. you gain those insights. You know, what, 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 what can we get out of this that will help us do better business? You know, how can we, how can we take this and, and understand cross-country skiers a little more? I mean, one of those ways is like, don't, don't get discouraged. They, they're discouraged, but they're going to buy. And once, and now that we've had basically two weeks of that of that whole swath of cynical people covered in snow, now's the time to get them. Now's yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Well, that's the great lead-in for our our next episode where I want to present some research that I think raises a few questions. So maybe that's our our cliffhanger. Ooh, I like it. I like it. The and end question mark. Some of the results of this particular study will be available on. NordicApproach.com and I'll add a link right in the in the notes. Oh, perfect. Sounds good. Excellent. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs> Even if the weather sucks, you're gonna go out and have a great week anyway. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time. <laughs>